0: Liesel, today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit.
1: I love Budget Blinds. They are an incredible family-owned business, and they give back so much to our community.
0: They really do. You know what else? You know what else? They are the home for enlightened style shades.
1: I've heard all about these enlightened style shades. Look,
0: it is uh, the place to go if you want to make your home pretty. Beautiful. You want to add some, some cool window treatments, especially, as we've said many times on this show, especially if you want those robot shades, if you yes. want to be able to control it with your phone or your Alexa device. They're yeah. the place to go. They I want my whole to
1: house to be set up like that. I, I, I wish I, they could come and do that. I think they can.
0: Okay. Okay. I think they, I think they can. I think they can. And then, it. as you mentioned, on top of that, it is a local family-owned business, and it's a family that just continually does good in the community. Yeah. And if you're ready to make the decision to go see them, to, to update, to decorate your home, you can go see our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Hello, and welcome back to the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Parker, and with me as she is
1: every week.
0: It's Liesl Hayes.
1: Hello, hello. It's good to be back again. I'm trying to get that hello, week? hello thing down. Well, you're down. finding your voice. I mean, I'm finding my voice. I yeah. really am. Mm-hmm.
0: Should I, I, I feel like saying every week isn't right. I mean, it's two days a
1: week. Now. I mean, we see each other a lot. I mean,
0: you know, you're, you've been promoted.
1: I have been you're promoted. You're up from the practice
0: squad. You're full-time.
1: I am full-time.
0: <laughs> Except for full-time, I don't pay her.
1: He doesn't. I mean. Did you pay Jason? I mean, I'm going to talk uh, to Jason about uh, this. In tacos. Oh, tacos. Okay, that yeah. works. My, that works. My
0: bartering system is 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 centered around tacos.
1: And whiskey. Well, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's
0: true. Hey, we've got a nice show coming up. Uh, my buddy from, from Bridge Space, where I work, Jeff Driscoll from Sandler Training. Jeff, welcome.
2: Thank you, Nick, for having me here today. I have been, you know, watching you guys um, go back and forth here. And it's nice to actually be a part of the team. <laughs> You're always you part of our team. You are officially
1: part of the team, Jeff.
0: <laughs> I mean, and we're going to get into talking about teams uh, too and, and, and fanhoods and rivalries and, and all of that. We're not going to talk a whole lot about Sandler training, although I am I am curious about what, what you do for a living. It's, it's interesting. I, I want you to know that since we've started working in this co-working space mm-hmm. since, what,
2: 2018? Yeah, whenever it opened. I, I, I am member 001. I,
0: I, I, am, I am guilty of uh, sometimes uh, lurking and listening in uh, when Jeff does his training. and Like, I'll sneak down. That oh, that's a good tip. I'm going to write that one down.
1: This is saying a lot for you, Nick Parker, <laughs> because usually you're like anti-self-development. So <laughs> I like that you're taking notes. I mean, that means that... He's extremely powerful. He's a powerful presenter and teacher.
0: Look, look, Jeff does sales training, leadership training. And if you've not watched him work, the dude's a bit of a rock star.
1: It's pretty impressive.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know about being a rock star, but I I, I I, do get into my work. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you, uh, the, the spirit overtakes you. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> we can become an evan- evangelist. If I could speak,
1: you can speak. It's Friday, so it's hard to put the sentences together, Jeff. It 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 is. It's
0: Friday. You've probably done a bunch of bunch of trainings and everything. So, but we'll get to that stuff. Okay. Uh, Actually, I thought it would be kind of fun to have you on. Uh, You've got kind of a cool story. You're a tad bit older than me, but (laughs) just a couple years here or there, one or two. Uh, But I think it's kind of fun. You are you are a former Mizzou college football player. You're a former. High school head coach you still coach high school mm-hmm. here in in Lee Summit uh, you just you do a lot of different things you you take over bridge Space once a month to do a little networking fun fun event so I just thought it'd be kind of fun for people that they don't know you in town to kind of know who you are a little bit and yeah. and you know you let's get let's get the hard
2: part out
1: What's the hard part?
2: Where are you from Jeff? Well I'm from Lee Summit that's that a good answer. Seemed... You see, I've been here for 24 years, so I'm from Lee Summit. I like that answer. And, and here's the other thing that I will throw into that: you know, you you brought up the coaching background, you know, and actually, I was a head coach at the college level. Oh, I left it out. Yeah. I apologize. And and not, I haven't coached, been the head coach at the high school level, but I have been the head coach at a college level. But my wife and I moved around a lot when we were first married lee summit has been by far the absolute best community that we have ever lived in and we we still to this day sometimes when we're walking through the downtown we'll just look at each other and they go we just love this downtown I, it is so cool and our friends from out of town and and her family that is all back in the boston area they are convinced that we live in Norman Rockwellville because we've talked about the festivals and we've we've talked we've sent them pictures of the streets all lit up at christmas time and you know how we go to this restaurant and then we go to this bar and we have a drink here and then we go here and they they're just convinced that you know Norman Rockwell painted our town and that we've just stepped into the painting
0: i you know what that's fair I've always said, you know, Kansas City is kind of the best kept secret in the country. And if that is true, Lee Summit is even better, like even more specific.
2: Yeah. And so where you were trying to draw me into earlier, Nick, <laughs> is that <laughs> I grew up in the St. Louis area. Absolutely. And I am very glad that I'm from St. Louis. I'm still a rabid Cardinals Baseball fan? I
0: wish I had a boo button.
2: Yeah, I know. I but know,
1: but you just, you got to let it go, you know?
2: But we are, we are so Glad to be in Kansas City and specifically in the in the Lee Summit area. That it's just St. Louis is a great place to be from. There oh, you go. there I you gave go. You another opportunity. I mean, it was a little late. <laughs> yeah, but,
1: but yes. Yeah, I it's gave there. him another chance. You did. You'll give him another <laughs> chance later. I'm sure I will. Yeah.
2: But it is one of the just you know in in, in St. Louis, it's all about where did you go to high school. That's that's how people identify themselves, and if you didn't go to a St. Louis area high school, it doesn't matter how long you live there, you are never from there. Hmm. That's strange. In Kansas City, when everybody is from someplace here, whether they're from this area or they've come from outside the area and moved in, and everyone here is, I mean, this is like the biggest college town you've ever been in you know and everybody here is a college fan everybody is a is a sports fan and people have just been more welcoming and it when we moved here and we really understood where we had moved it we don't want to leave
0: i think the college sports fan thing is part of what makes it so welcoming because even even people who aren't sports fans will gravitate to a certain section type of sports fan mm-hmm. just because that's who their friends are and they're All like, right. Well, if you know, if you root for Mizzou, I'm rooting for Mizzou too. And I think that just but there are so many. I mean, like, I like to play with my St. Louis friends <laughs> because of baseball and professional sports. Sure. in nineteen eighty five. Um and
1: <sighs> <laughs> wow, you are just picking on poor Jeff over yeah, here. I it's mean, a little, it's a little
0: bit fun, but I bet, but I think because there are so many different. I mean, because of the Big Eight and it's right. where we are, and Kansas City's history is having, you know, headquarters and and mm-hmm. all the things. That's part of what makes it so welcoming. Is because there are so many people from so many different places here, yes. or their ties to different places.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. But you know, here is the other piece. You know, in college. I'm from St. Louis, but I'm in Columbia and I'm meeting guys from Kansas City. There was a different vibe. I mean, the Kansas City guys were fun and they were, they were glad to get to know where I, you know, some of the folks on the east side of the state might be a little standoffish or clickish, you know, and I, I gotta own that, you know, they 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 could be. You know, but the and moving to Kansas City by far was, as I said earlier, the best move we ever made.
0: Well, let's go. Uh, let's go backward a little bit. Let's go to Columbia. Okay. And, and your football days—that was a different era of Mizzou football than what we're watching right now.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. How
0: did, How did you How did you get there? What's your what was your little recruitment story?
2: Oh wow, recruitment story is how your, many
0: millions did you get under the table, Jeff? Yeah. That's what so I
2: really many. There was no such thing as nil, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it, it was um, you know growing up in Mizzou or in Missouri, I was a Mizzou fan. My my mom was a graduate twice over from Mizzou, you know, undergrad and, and grad school. And so I had that legacy going. And my grandparents were from a very small town just outside of Columbia. And then my, my dad's family was from Columbia. In fact, to this day, every Driscoll that is in Columbia is a relative of mine. Because that's where my dad grew up. That's, that, the, they're all his family there. So um, I, I had been in and around Columbia for a long time, knew a lot about it, so was very comfortable there. But here's a little revelation that is going to surprise you, I Uh-oh. think. Um, my first college stop was not in Columbia.
1: Hmm. Where was it?
2: I went to the University of Arkansas for my first semester.
1: <gasps> Look at was that. Was recruited
2: down there and i gotta tell you you know when you sit down in the head coach's office and it's lou holtz and he sits down on the couch with you and he talks to you about how you're going to impact and be a part of the razorbacks and it it was it wasn't it was impressive and i was impressed and so i chose my first semester to go there and unfortunately from that moment forward the illusion was gone uh-oh yeah so what changed uh <laughs> let's let's just say the things that i was looking for in a college were not necessarily the same thing as what had been described to me on the recruiting visit unfortunately and this will kind of take why I wound up back at Columbia. Um, I was interested in being in radio and television and they had shown me a building that on the map, it said it was the communication center. <laughs> and they said, the, the radio and TV classrooms are all in there. Okay, they are, I never saw them on my recruiting visit. That wasn't part of the stop at, you know, in those days. You you saw the athletic facilities, right? You saw the dining hall, you saw the uh, um, the athletic dormitory, you know. Those were the kinds of things that you saw. Um, didn't see a classroom. Didn't sp- certainly did not see a TV or radio studio. All right, I show up on campus and the radio studio was not in that building. It was down the street in an old house that the windows were boarded up on. <laughs> and it really wasn't quite what i was looking for so you know suffice it to say that at the end of the first semester i made my transfer to the university of missouri and you know the the reason i didn't choose them from the get-go even though that was where i wanted to be is it seemed like they really didn't show an interest in me until after they had discovered that arkansas was interested in me and so i you know, it's one of those cut your nose off to spite your face, but I got it course corrected. We were talking earlier. Uh-huh.
1: You know, got to do it.
2: It it didn't take me long to realize the the error of my ways and to get back on track and get to Columbia, and so there I was. How
0: hard is that for, for an athlete? And I know times are pro- different. Like your story is going to yeah. be different than, than what it is now, but how hard is that to to leave one program and go to another and get in and get involved? I mean – I would assume you had to really fight for playing time.
2: Well, there was no such thing as a transfer portal, right? right? <laughs> there, uh, when you transferred, you automatically set out your next season because you were ineligible for two consecutive semesters. So, regardless of when you transferred, you were going to be ineligible for two consecutive tran- uh, semesters. Regardless of your GPA, it had nothing to do with your academics. You were just simply, we're not going to play because there was a consequence for transferring.
0: Right. Okay. Okay?
2: That doesn't exist uh, these days. I went in in the spring, so it gave me an opportunity to learn the system in the springtime before having to be there in the fall. So I was behind the... The guys who were all my age, who had gone to school there their first semester, I was behind them in development, but I was ahead of the next class as far as preparation development was concerned. Um, But, you know, it's like everywhere else. You have to work your way up through the the ranks. And, you know, when you transfer, in my case, when I transferred in, you don't go in automatically on scholarship. You know, I was a walk on. And so, as a walk on, they don't have the investment in you that they have in other players. So, it can sometimes be a little bit tougher of a challenge to prove and earn your playing time. Are you
0: ready? Are you ready for the segue? I bet that played into your future career. (laughs) It, <laughs> oh, that was good. cheap and cheesy. <laughs> it that
2: was good. It, it did, Nick. Yeah, it 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 absolutely. I mean, here's here's the fun part about college football. At least uh, to me, it was the fun part. Is I got the opportunity to play under a bunch of different coaches and see coaching styles. And at the college level, you spend a lot more time obviously involved in... What is that? Oh,
0: we've got some weirdness happening in the bridge space.
2: Yeah. <laughs> not, not sure. Are one of the ghosts coming to visit us? <laughs> I guess so. We'll, we'll keep going. Whatever. That, if that you hear are, some buzzing, we hear fine. it too. It's <laughs> yeah. not just in our heads. Okay. Um, But the reality is you get to understand why the play is the play or why the formation and what the purpose is. And you don't you don't just get the what is the play and, you know, how to do it. You get the why behind it. And you also get the opportunity to see how you develop players. And quite honestly, as a walk-on initially, playing time wasn't as great. So I had to make sure that when I got my reps – that they were quality reps, you know? And it's one of the things that I tell all of my players today, you know, I, I've i coached the last 15 years out at Lee Summit West. And one of the things that I try to impress upon every player from the freshman up through the varsity is when you get your rep, make sure that you're ready to take it and that you know what you're doing. Get out there and show us what you can do physically that you you know what to do. Now show us how you can do it. And that's what I learned being the walk on is that you don't get very many reps. So you better represent in those two reps or those three reps that you get, you better show out. Take
0: advantage of what time is given. Exactly. What opportunities are given.
2: Every rep counts.
0: Did you uh you know you said you wanted you wanted journalism track, yeah. you wanted broadcast stuff. Yeah. Uh did you know coaching was a was a thing that you had interest in?
2: You know, it was one of those things that I knew about because my mom was a physical education teacher and a coach. So I grew up in that kind of environment. But I've got to be perfectly honest with you. I specifically did not go into education. And I, my mom and I had this conversation that I did not see the rationale for her, from her in her career why you would go into a career that you're going to spend six hours a day teaching if you wanted to be a coach. And and I specifically did not go into education because I didn't want to be a high school teacher that spent six hours in a classroom when I really wanted to be coaching. Right. And so that's why when I started coaching, my first coaching was at the semi-pro level and then it was at a college. And the college was where... When I was at the college level, uh, you've heard me tell this story before. I knew that I was exactly where God wanted me to be, that I was going to be a coach for the rest of my life, and this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. But the reality that I discovered was that I was not a good husband. I was not a good father from a time perspective because I was spending all my time coaching. I was spending all my time with other people's kids. I was spending all of my time investing into my career. And I wasn't investing into my family.
1: When did you have that realization?
2: When I was leaving Lindenwood University. It was Lindenwood College at that point. I had been there for six years. I was... I helped start the program in '89. I took over the program after the '91 season and was the head coach through the '94 season. Between the '94 end of the '94 season and the start of '95 season, I was the number two candidate for about four different Division I coaching positions because that was where I wanted to go back to. I wanted to be a Division I coach. And I didn't get those jobs. And quite frankly, it was God's way of telling me that I needed to reevaluate my life and I needed to really take a hard, cold look at what I was doing because I wasn't, I wasn't doing it the right way. And I had to get out of coaching. I had to get away from it because I was I was going to lose my family. Mm. Uh, my wife and I, this year will be our 35th wedding anniversary, and we've got two sons that, you know, the oldest is 31, youngest is 29. Both are college-graduated and out doing their things, and so we've been very successful from that perspective. Um, but it was because... I had to change what I was doing.
0: That's a hard thing to change and be willing to change. What you want to do, what you know how to do, where you're comfortable doing. I mean, sports and coaching and football, that's what you knew. That's where you were comfortable.
2: Yeah. It was my comfort zone without question. And it was my passion, Nick. It, it unfortunately was the consuming passion though, just as an, as alcohol is to an alcoholic or gambling is to a gambleholic, it it was my consuming passion. I mean, I would come, I would get off of the practice field at 530 and I would pop in, at that time it was videotape, I would (laughs) pop in the VHS video cassette into the uh, player and I'd start watching the practice film. And, making notes and evaluating the practice. And then I would transition from that practice tape. Then I would be putting in the opponent that we were playing that week. I'd pop in, you know, those tapes and be rewatching it for the third or the fourth or the fifth time and then comparing it to what the notes were from the practice that we had had or what we had done at the practice and how that had worked in practice or how we had to change what we were showing the team and, and it would be 10 o'clock or midnight before i had even realized that I had not even called home to tell my wife, oh, by the way, dear, I'm not going to be home for dinner. And so it was, you know, that I would get lost in it. And that was where I had to make some changes.
1: Okay. So you have this eureka moment. You yep. realize, you know, if, if I continue on this trajectory, it's not going to end... The way i want it to so how did you decide what you were going to do next what did that look like for you
2: (laughs) so i left college coaching and i moved to the lake of the ozarks and i sold boats at port arrowhead marina and when i told my family what i was doing and, and specifically when i told my mom what what i was going to be doing I can still hear her voice <laughs> in my head. She, The boy has done lost his mind. <laughs> he is a college football coach, and he thinks he can go sell boats. Well, I did. And here's the funny thing, and this is, this is kind of talk about how I got to where I am today, too, in the sense that when I was in college, the, uh, the lowest job kind of on the spectrum was a salesman's job. In fact, I fired an advisor who, in, in the radio world, he was, I mean, there was Walter Cronkite, there was Edward R. Murrow, and then there was Dave Dugan. I mean, he was one of the radio, CBS radio gods, and he was my advisor. And he told me that I was a country club journalist. And I asked him, I said, well, Dave, what, what is a country club journalist? He says, well, you like to play golf. You like nice things. You wouldn't mind being in a country club, driving new cars, going on vacations? And I'm like, well, so far that sounds pretty good. So what's the, what's the problem? He says, well, you, you should be in sales. You're not. The hardcore journalist—you're not driven by the deadline or by getting the story or by, by scooping someone. You, you want nice things. You want to make money. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, I don't think I don't want to be in sales. No, I I don't think you're the right advisor for me anymore. I fired him and went and got another advisor. But he was right.
0: By the way, I, I've been him." <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've given that speech. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, the, the interesting thing was, is my concept or my perception of what a salesperson was, was completely off base. And that is actually how I've developed my career in sales, been successful in sales and parlayed that success in sales, got a coaching job because I was successful in sales, and then went back to sales and was selling things that were fun. I liked boats. I liked being on the water. I had been around boats all my life. Let's go sell boats. And when my mom, (laughs) the boy has done lost his mind, he thinks he's going to sell boats. I sold boats and I won contests and I was, you know, leaderboard on the leaderboard. And, you know, I I was successful at it because the thing that I learned and this is this is even the bigger aha moment in my my career, my life. I'm in my ideal job. I'm a head coach in the college ranks at 29 years old. My epiphany was I realized that as in my ideal job, I was a salesperson. Because what I was doing was I was connecting with 18-year-old athletes and their parents, their families, and understanding what they hoped to get and gain from college and from playing football and showing them how I could help them achieve those goals. I was connecting with them, building a relationship, developing the relationship to a trusting relationship. I mean, it it can be said that it's pretty easy to get an 18 year old excited about playing college football. But then at Lindenwood in those days, nobody was on full ride scholarships so it wasn't like i could just tell those parents hey don't worry about the cost to this private liberal arts college i'm i've got you <laughs> right right i mean they were going to pay for their son to come to the college and so the realization of being able to to not only get that 18-year-old excited but to also be able to connect with their parent and to help those parents understand not only that they can achieve their goals here, that we've got the opportunity for them, but how can you do that and, sh- and help them see that pathway? But, but that epiphany, that my ideal job, I was, I was a salesperson. And the reality is it doesn't matter what our title is for whatever career we're in. We're all salespeople. We have information. Why are you trying to make me sad? We have an idea. You're salesman too, Nick. Go ahead. You can say it with me? No. I'm say not, it with me. I'm not ready yet. Oh, yeah. Nick a is a salesman. Nick is a salesman. Not ready for that yet. You will be.
0: Let me let me let me ask you this, and yeah. I want to come back to that revelation moment. But is there an extension to that sales analogy, though? Too. Not only are you trying to, you know, your, the recruiting aspect, obviously, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Getting the parent, and the families to to get excited and want to come in, right? But then you also have kids who are 18 to 22. You also have to get them to buy into your program, oh, your absolutely. system, and do the things that you know will make them successful. Yes. I mean, that's a whole other kind of sales.
2: Uh, it, it absolutely is. Nick, let me put it into this context because this is exactly what I, what I came to realize. Not only was I selling the 18-year-old, I mean – they can get excited about playing college football, right? And, and that can be very simple. But I'm selling the parent on why they should allow their son to come play for me. I am selling the president on why he should pay for our equipment and why he should renovate the stadium or he why he should come and talk to this booster group. I'm selling the alumni group on why there should even be a football program at Lindenwood College, that is the second oldest school west of the Mississippi, but historically was a female finishing college. It was it was solely a women's college until 1969, and then they blended. They didn't. They did. They wouldn't allow the men to take classes with the women from 69 to 72 but they recognized that they better bring in some other people to pay for things because you know things were getting right. expensive mm-hmm. you know so uh, I I was I was working with an alumni base that was historically female and they saw no real value in having football, a football team at their college.
1: So what's your, what's your secret sauce when it comes to selling to all of those different people? At the core of it, how do you do
2: it? You build a relationship. They have to know you, they have to like you, and they have to trust you. And those three elements, it does not matter what we are selling, who we are selling, or where we are selling, those three elements have to be in place before anyone's ever going to buy something from you or refer people to you. And building that relationship and understanding their motivation for wanting to make a change, that, that is in essence what a sale is. It is changing from what you're currently doing or where you're currently at or what you're currently using to something new it requires change and here's a revelation as human beings we don't like change change is kind of that thing in our Cro-Magnon DNA that says don't do it stay comfortable Don't change, because if you change something, you not only make yourself uncomfortable, you make other people uncomfortable. And in that Cro-Magnon situation, you got kicked out of the tribe. And when you got kicked out of the tribe, there was a saber-toothed tiger out there waiting to eat you, all right? So you didn't do things that got you kicked out of the tribe. You didn't change, because change is difficult. It's uncomfortable. It means we, we have to do things differently. And we don't like to do things differently. We like to get into a comfort zone and we like to stay there.
0: Let me ask, uh, so back to kind of that revelation, that aha moment. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did that come while you were still coaching or after you had left?
2: No, it came while I was coaching.
0: Because I I find that, that that surprised me a little. I feel like a lot of us, we don't really get that until when we're gone and we get a little perspective. And it's like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing that.
2: No, I, you know, I, I, I joke about it sometimes that, you know, I paint this picture, you know, I was on the practice field and I was talking to them about why we were going to be doing this kind of a a scheme and what we were doing. And it was an epiphany that a ray of sunlight came down through the clouds (laughs) and shone on the football field. And it was in that moment that I realized I was a salesman because I was selling this whole concept to them. Was it Michael Landon, by the way? <laughs> it was totally Michael Landon, <laughs> Highway to Heaven style. You mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to say,
0: you know, for for listeners of a certain age.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I was thinking more along the lines of um, what the the uh, something by an angel or touched by an, touched an angel by an angel. Mm-hmm. That, that was kind of more like that. Yeah, more like more that. Like well,
0: that. You, your story is a little more modern.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs>
1: I love it. The touched by an angels like now modern to our group, which maybe even ages.
0: Well, I think it's a newer show. Totally I think it came exciting. after. Did
1: I it Way come after Highway to Heaven? I feel like that it came did. after. Okay,
2: yeah. it did.
0: Well, so you are you uh, you still coach? I do. Along with your stuff, you are yeah. you are. You, I think you just said fifteen years at least. i West. Yeah, which is weird to me to even think Lisa West has been around fifteen years.
2: Yeah, I I forget that they opened in two thousand and four. And I started coaching there in 2008. So this year was our our uh, 18th year, I guess, the school's 18th year in right. existence. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. It 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 seems crazy to me that it's been 15 years hmm. that I've been there that long. Um,
1: so how do you not let it consume you like you did before?
2: That's are you better
0: at going home to your wife now
2: i'm i'm better at going home i'm not the head coach uh i i coach the inside linebackers it does take up sometimes more time than i should let it i have to be very aware and conscious um the first eight years of it i was coaching at the freshman level so the freshman level was a little less of a commitment. We didn't watch the film like we do at the varsity level. Um, there wasn't as much of the game prep that went into it. I mean, we knew who we were playing. We would we would know the kind of scheme that they, that they run offensively and defensively, and we would show it to our kids. But there wasn't – we didn't do a scouting report. We didn't break down three or four or five – game films you know of them to determine what their tendencies were and scheme against that i mean that that didn't happen at the freshman level the last seven years though has been at the varsity level and we do all of that and it has taken up more time and i have to be i have to be much more conscious and purposeful with my time and uh, you know i'm learning to adjust it every year because some years I've not done as good of a job.
1: That's how he's like Tom Brady. He adjusts it every year.
2: I thought
0: we had, we agreed.
1: Oh, I forgot. I'm not supposed to uh, bring we're up we're Tom not Brady. That
0: name. Yeah, My but we also apologies.
2: agreed that we weren't going to mention 1985, and yet you went there in the first you three minutes.
1: Did so. This is just payback on behalf of Jeff.
0: I'll allow it for now. Okay. <laughs> Are you a better coach now?
2: Yes. I, I, I am absolutely am. And here's the interesting thing. I You know, I joke with my wife that since I've known her, my coaching career has been on a downhill slide. because So it's all her fault. It Well, I blame her, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I started coaching at the semi-pro level. I went to the college level. Then I went to the high school level. And then I was out of high school and I was coaching at the little league level because I was coaching my kids. <laughs> You know, and and uh, the oldest one coached him in the Pop Warner leagues that we had to drive to Independence to play in, and then with the youngest one helped start the Lee Summit Football Association back in the day when, you know, there there wasn't a football association right. in Lee Summit, and we we knew we had enough kids in Lee Summit that we could play football in Lee Summit, and so helped start that, and I had met Royce Bame the, I think the first year that I was here in Kansas City back in 1998 he was still uh, I think the defensive coordinator at North at that time and under Harold Walmscott yep and you know before he took over as the head coach and so he knew my background he knew where I was he knew and then he uh, would only allow his uh, oldest Evan Bame to play on my team because he knew how I coached, he knew who I was, and he knew my background. And so then when Evan and my youngest one, Sean, they were the same age and the same, graduated in the same class out at, at West, when they were coming up as freshmen, Royce came back to me and says, hey, I need uh, some coaches at the freshman level. He says, I've got a hundred plus kids that are coming out for football in the fall at the freshman level. He says, not only do I need bodies, but I need people who know how to coach. He says, and oh, no, by the way, I know that you aren't coaching anybody this fall.
0: <laughs> he and came prepared. He came prepared. He did prepared. his research. He did
2: his homework. He was a good salesman. He took away my objections. Which, and by the way, he's a salesman now. He is. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he was the one that, Gave me the opportunity to get back at to the high school level, so my career has started to recover a little bit, and mm-hmm. it's going back, came back this up direction. to the high school level, and, and you know went from the freshman back up to the varsity level. So
0: yeah, I, I'm going to say a little shout out to Royce. He's one of my favorite coaches I ever worked with. When I was an old sports reporter, um, I missed his first. I'd moved away from Lee Summit, and so I missed his first state title. I didn't get. I wasn't covering him then.
2: Well, I was. I was with the radio team that year and know. was uh doing the sideline reporting uh with with the team that year and that was 2007 was the first one and then I started coaching the, vi- the very next year
0: good timing on your part
2: it was very good timing I mean, you got
0: in right at the right time i
2: i did i, I mean i i you know i i one of my, you know, icebreaker things that I do is, you know, two truths and a lie, you know. And so one of one of my truths that I share that people believe usually is the lie. I've got 3 state championship rings. I have a Super Bowl ring and I have a Hall of Fame ring. And yeah, that's that's the lie. He probably has the the high school rings and yeah, but he probably, he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. I do have a Super Bowl ring. So do we need to take a commercial break? Or did we, we do t- need I'm to gonna, take I'm a commercial a, I'm, I'm break? I'm gonna ask,
0: is this the uh one that the fans can buy? No. Or is this a uh, a, a former player? This is a former former player. player's gift.
2: Yes. So I've mentioned that I started coaching at the semi pro level. I played at the semi pro level before I was coaching and it was the that transition from player player coach to coach that that went on in 1988 I was playing for the St. Louis Riverboat Gamblers in the the um minor league football system was the the league that we played in Roger Worley was the commissioner of our league <laughs> There is a blast from the past that uh, Hall of Fame player for the St. Louis Football Cardinals and Hall of Famer at uh, the University of Missouri, All-American at the University of Missouri, but he was the commissioner of the league, and we won the Super Bowl of the minor league football system. Now, here's the unique thing. In 1988, Super Bowl was not trademarked. That's right. So I actually have a ring that says Super Bowl Champion because that's what you you earn. You play for the jewelry. I have a Super Bowl ring.
1: There you go. Nice. You heard it here first,
2: though. That's right. That's but even you might have that's an your an better breaker. story
0: than I've, than I thought. I thought it was going to be like a former player gifted you. Nope. A ring. That's an even better story.
2: Nope. I was I was the team captain and starting center for for that team and. Have a player's Super Bowl ring. Nice. Yep. Used to be a great conversation starter.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Used to be. Why is it not anymore? Well, why do you not wear it
2: uh, every day? You know that I I I don't wear the big jewelry.
0: I, I mean, if we were doing video, I would expect you to talk with your hands out. Yeah. You know.
2: Well, yeah. If we were doing TV, you know, I'd have to have the big rings and the the big jewelry and right. You know, and it, and it's funny that you know coming out of college. You know, I had I had the Letterman's ring, I had the Bowl ring, I had the Bowl watches. You know, and I, I I even wore like before I was married, I would wear the Letterman's ring on one hand and the Bowl ring on the other hand, and you know, and it was like that was kind of weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the, I feel like in high school and college though, like there were just jewelry was more of a thing. You know, yeah. like you had your class ring, you had your Letter jacket, all yeah. the things. Like yeah. it was just more of a thing. Well, yeah, it gets heavy when you're that successful.
2: Well, it does. That's true. <laughs> you run out of fingers. That's really what. That happens. is what you just Tom don't Brady. have.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> it all comes back to Tom Brady. You know, I. You know what? I think you're okay. This is an off week for our our National Football League team, mm-hmm. so you're not jinxing anything. Not, I, not at think, all. You can't say his name next week, though. That's game week.
2: Okay.
1: Oop. Noted. I will be saying Tom Brady on the Lee summit town hall podcast next week. I just put that in the calendar. <laughs> You're fired. Did you just fire someone that you don't pay? Yes. That's amazing.
0: No tacos for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff, Jeff, as we, as we wrap up, I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit because you've taken all this stuff and you are a salesperson mm-hmm. and you now make a living Helping other people be better at that, be better coaches, be better leaders, be better salespeople right. through Sandler training. Right. So tell us a little bit of people want to know what you're doing if they want to reach out. How can they do that?
2: Well, the best way to reach out is either uh, just call me on my phone, or you can go to my website. And the website is Driscoll D R I S K I L L dot Sandler dot com.
0: Say it one more time.
2: Driscoll D R. I-S-K-I-L-L dot Sandler, S-A-N-D-L-E-R dot com. That's the website and would love to sit down and have a conversation. Uh, We do sales training and historically Sandler, the franchise of Sandler training is known for sales training. That's historically the genesis of where Sandler came from. All right, Um, but Sandler has been around now for more than 50 years and has evolved into much more than just the Sandler selling system. There is, the managers have to understand and have to be able to coach their sales teams. So we help to develop those management level individuals who have earned the right to move from Whatever department they're in, they're, they've been successful in that department, whether it's sales, accounting, um, procurement, HR, whatever. But who we don't like to promote HR people. Well, I know that.
1: Yeah, they're tricky.
2: They are tricky, tricky you, ones. They are the ones that you've got to have your. You
1: just got to be careful. You got
2: to have your T's dotted and your I's mm-hmm. crossed on <laughs> them. You better be <laughs> careful. That's right.
1: TomBrady.com.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it, it, here's, here's the reality. Most folks who are successful get an opportunity to move up. Unfortunately, their company and their management team that, that brought them up didn't train them to be managers. They just were successful at what they were doing, working in the o- operation. And the unfortunate piece is most people can't tell you why they are successful. They can't I would agree even with that. they can't even tell you how to be successful. They will say watch me and do what I mm-hmm. do. But oftentimes if if somebody doesn't understand why you're doing something, they don't know how to do it. Process matters. It absolutely matters. That's the that's that's kind of the secret sauce about what Sandler understood is Number one, it's not just about knowing the quick phrase or being, you know, uh, glib enough with, with your words that you can convince somebody to do something. Sales is not about convincing anybody to do anything because that's an adversarial relationship. It's about helping people understand what they want to do and showing them the path to accomplish that, regardless if it's... Buying a car, doing a remodel in their home, buying a new dress, anything that requires a salesperson to help them see the value, learn about the product, and to see the application of it in their life how it, and how it will fit in for them, it comes from that trusted advisor space. And You're that's, a
0: teacher, Jeff.
2: I'm a very good teacher because I am a very good coach.
1: Because he's a very good
2: salesman.
0: Well, I'm just saying, after all this, we started off with you saying, I don't want to be in education because I don't want to be. Guess what? You're in a classroom. Oh, yes. Every day. And then you're teaching these people not to be salespeople, but to be teachers.
2: Let me even expound upon that whole concept even further, because here's... Here's the real revelation. Remember back when I said that I told my mom I didn't want to spend six hours a day doing a job so that I could coach in the afternoon. I spend five and a half hours in my office every day and in the football season, I leave at 2.30 and I go out to the football field so I can coach. (laughs) Talk about doing what I said I didn't want to do well it all and,
0: comes full circle and, and it, it really it all comes down to mom was right
2: mom was always mom right mom is usually right yeah, absolutely <laughs>
0: well Jeff Driscoll thank you so much for coming into the studio this week talking to us a little bit about who you are what you're doing I appreciate it. it's a fun story
2: well I don't know if it was a fun story or not but you got a lot more out of me than I anticipated sharing that's for sure
1: Mm, we, we have that effect on people we, it's the
0: chairs really yeah. it is the chairs It's the new chairs in the studio
2: uh the chairs or was it the the liquid lubrication it, it, it mi- i mean it
1: might, it might been, be the chairs and the boots it, it, it might have been
0: it might have been the pregame activities okay look right. i give a heck of a pregame talk
2: yeah tailgating is important <laughs> it is it is the tradition in kansas city it is true
0: it is true Well, that will wrap us up for this week. We'll talk to everybody next time.